Welcome to Holy Crap. We are Amanda and Matilda, best friends from Stockholm, Sweden, where we work as holistic coaches, healers, and founders of Sweden's largest conscious community, Holy Crap. We have always had a deep desire to explore the world, while in recent years we have come to develop our respect and appreciation for the wisdom of our Nordic culture with our connection to nature, homes, and a strong work-life balance. And now we feel excited to share this medicine with the world. In this podcast, we invite you to join us in conversations where we delve into life's deeper layers within spirituality and holistic health, combined with interviews with guests from around the world. You can find us on Instagram, Holocrap Official, and all of our retreats, events, and courses at holocrapco.com. Välkommen! This week, we met wonderful Deborah Hanekamp, who goes by the name Mama Medicine on Instagram. Last fall, I stumbled upon her Instagram account and immediately felt her energy. And this happened right before our trip to LA this fall. And when scrolling on her Instagram, I felt a strong urge to attend one of her circles. So we checked her calendar and unfortunately, she didn't have anything planned in LA during our stay. However, while scrolling down her website, I saw that she was coming to Stockholm, Sweden of all places. And this was just a week after we returned back home from LA. It felt like destiny, fate or synchronicity, whatever you want to call it, our meeting with Debra was meant to be. And in this episode, you'll hear her talk about her journey from growing up in a strict northern baptism home to living in the Peruvian Amazon and learning from different teachers. Deborah has explored various practices, including crystal and sound healing, plant medicine, meditation, Ayurveda, yoga, energy work and mestizo healing, to name a few. After all the work that she's done, she tried to find herself within each modality, like we all do but came to the realization that she had to stop trying to identify herself through one of them. And many of your listeners may relate to this because we are, you know, when you have the knowledge of different modalities, but not knowing what to call yourselves. And this took Deborah a long time to embrace and understand that simply put, she is love. And in the episode, she quotes Annie DeFranco that says, you wouldn't try to pour the ocean into a paper cup. In today's episode, you will hear Deborah talk about this and much, much more. Her energy transmission goes straight from the microphone to all of you who are listening. Please welcome Deborah Honekamp. A warm welcome to you, Deborah, to Holy Crap Podcast. Thank you for having me. We are so excited for this interview. <laughs> How are you today? Uh, a little tired, but mm-hmm. I'm feeling really good holding this very sweet puppy and just being here in Sweden. Mm, she has, uh, it's, we talk about Mila, like Matilda's dog, and she has a very like grounding energy, yet very like, hmm. Playful. Playful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of like your energy. Yeah. You feel both like playful but still like grounding like the perfect yeah i think that's a good yeah that's a good early read yeah yeah i like to play have fun Mm -hmm. take life as it comes but also stay rooted yeah for sure yeah yeah you can feel it (laughs) so i mean uh how i found you it was like uh a nice story because we were 
both in LA for a couple of weeks ago. And while going there, we were just like searching for an event. And I found your Instagram page because I saw that you had like a beautiful like circle in LA. So I was just like, wow, we need to attend one of her events. And I felt like so drawn to your energy. So I went into your website and started scrolling and then I saw that you were coming to Sweden like the week after <laughs> we arrived home from LA. Uh, so that felt like like the best like synchronicity. And um, while digging into like your work, I also saw that when I when I first found it, that we were talking about like the red aura, the oak tree, the ladybug, and the whole summer both. Uh, the oak tree and ladybug were like following me everywhere so I just felt like a huge calling to like I I need to like book something with you I need to like I see it like an energy transmission because I didn't know uh, what the calling was for me to contact you but I just knew that it it was like something in the energy Mm. so we were so so glad when we could book this interview as well that's how most people mm. find me mm. is word of mouth and maybe seeing me somewhere yeah. and then just getting an intuitive yes mm. and not really knowing why but then there's no. like certain signs that lead them to mm. it being time to meet me yeah yeah because i just like walk and like, went into your like booking page and was just like I will book this today, now. And usually I, I I dig into the healers I book because I'm very like sensitive and I don't go to like every healer mm-hmm. because we are very like conscious about the energy. But this was something I felt very, very like uh, attack, uh, attached um, to the feeling of, of your energy. We see it more like an energy transmission. So what is your medicine, your energy transmission? Can you like put words on it? Um, what is the energy transmission? It's to put it really, really simply, it's inspiring folks to be their own healer Mm. through connecting to the nature that we all are. There's a very strong sense of balance that comes with that. There's also a very strong sense of acceptance that comes with that. Mm. Um, but mostly I think it, it it's like a, you meet me when it's a time in your life when you feel really accountable and responsible for who you are. Um, you You're not looking for me to fix you necessarily and and honestly if you come to me like that and I'm gonna be like no mm-hmm. you you've got this you're strong enough um so I think that there's there's this interesting thing that happens where I meet people when they're already on some sort of healing journey or they've already done a good amount of self-discovery mm-hmm. but the more we work to be our own healers the more we realize that we're so novice Mm. at it we're just beginning we have everything to learn actually Mm. we know nothing and so it's uh yeah it's it's that kind of space i think Mm. that i meet people in and also you know it's it's interesting because i can really see very like very much about people when i first meet them but I also try to bring in that 
novice energy and meet you on the same level. Uh, I, I really dislike in the healing world or the spiritual world when there's any kind of hierarchical structure where it's like the guru up here and then the devotee down here. I, I like to be on the same level with everyone. And um, while I can see a lot about you, it's me pointing things out that you've already been feeling that are probably already energetically firing off for you and never really putting my wisdom before your own wisdom. So there's, there's a lot of like trust and faith that you can be your own healer, mm. that you, you've got this. And that is so beautiful. I mean, both me and Matilda feel very like drawn to how you see things, how you like describe uh, this called life. And I can really agree when you say it feels like people are going like this where like I have so much knowledge. I have been studying this and this and I like I know this uh, until you just like shed, shed, shed. And tells you're just like, I know nothing more than that. We are like this energy of love. Mm. What else is there to know? Mm. So it feels like we the more you're doing the work, the less you know. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. When I when I because I, I started off on this journey of more like ambiguous spiritual healing mm. when I was 17. Mm. And by the time I was 24, I had built up a pretty big following. And there was definitely a time where I was like, all right, I've done all this study. I've taken all these courses. I meditate every day. Like I was so in my ego mm. and like, uh, like people have to come from where they are to meet me kind of thing. And I really thought that what I would see would be the best possible solution for somebody would be like the best possible solution for them. You know, I didn't realize like people only heal when they're ready to that. Um, because certain things like meditation or nature or movement, these things, are healing for me, that doesn't mean they're gonna be healing for everyone. So I, I had a lot of like righteousness to detox. I agree, I have the same. <laughs> Don't you think though that that is part of the awakening journey in mm -hmm. a way? Yeah. That you're so inspired because it helped you and you're so close to you know, the breakthrough in yourself. Do you just feel the call to help people? Which is a beautiful thing, you know? Yeah. You feel like, oh my God, this helped me. I My life is so much better. Now I want to, you know, give this to other people. We see this so much because we have a community around the podcast. And it's interesting to see what has happened during these four years when we've had this uh, community. And in the beginning, everyone were like, oh, so curious, just searching, searching. And now what we see is that most people want to help. Like mm -hmm. most people... I guess that is almost like a given when you do this work that yeah. you want to give out what you, you know, what you've learned yourself. So it feels like it's almost like there are these kind of steppings, like the, the steps that you go through. And that is like, I think you need to go through that one, you know? So if anyone is in that, you know, in that <laughs> space, we hold no judgment. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it is like, like it's it's just a, like an inherent part of 
of you know the spiritual awakening journey yeah yeah like Mm. you think you look at someone and you're like everything would be so much easier for you if you would just do this thing that i'm doing because it helped me so much Mm -hmm. but it it maybe maybe doesn't land the right way for that person or it's not the right time for them to start that practice or whatever it is Yeah. yeah because it's very easy as you said like this healing practice is for everyone because it's helped me um and I think this is uh, very much what you see right now because the spiritual has become grown so much the last couple of years and it has like infused like them. Mm, I think that the whole like spiritual world has been infused of much more than what it used to be uh, because when something is growing so fast, it can be because we seem like a lot, you know, that love and light that people don't want to like face their darkness and also like um, this guru mentality. Um, so when something is growing so fast, it can be like a problem as well. How do you see like the spiritual? How do you even put words on spiritual? What, what does it mean for you to be spiritual? I think it means that you stop looking at things in polarity and mm-hmm. stop seeing so much separation mm-hmm. and looking for ways to compartmentalize yourself or people or ways of being. I think, I think that really to truly be spiritual means that you move in the world with more kindness to every living thing. And if your spiritual practices are not making you a more kind person, then they're not working. And I think kindness is is not the same as nice. I think kindness is also very honest. It's really understanding that if something is not in my truth and I'm doing it to people please or to make you happy, it's not in your truth either. So I also think that to truly be spiritual It's like kindness, honesty, and it's moving with a sense of clarity and and unity. And, you know, that that honesty, the really big part of that is allowing our light and our shadow to be really good friends. It's not like trying to purify or to rid ourselves of the shadow or the things about ourselves that we don't like. It's about accepting who we are, accepting what we have done accepting that certain things will just always be there for us. Certain scars will always be there for us. And allowing the parts of ourselves that are really easy to love and the parts of ourselves that judge a lot to just become friends with each other and to close any gaps or separation. Yeah, that is beautiful said. And I think kindness like the real type of kindness that you describe is so, so important. And that's, I mean, the core in everything, like to be love and to be love is to be kind mm-hmm. and to really see everyone for who they truly are. So when we were doing some research about you, there are many parts that we find interesting. And we love too on your website that you you uh, you don't put your story up first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You'd be like, if you're drawn to my energy, it's because of my energy. It's not because of who I am. Yeah. Uh, 
so we just resonate so deeply with all of that stuff. Um, but then we wanted to read more about you because we are super curious. And one of the parts that we really um, want to hear about, actually, because we come from a very non-religious um, part of the world. Mm-hmm. And I think it's more common, obviously, in, in America. Uh, do you want to tell us a bit about your religious upbringing and how that has shaped you in life? <laughs> it's uh it's interesting because i so i was brought up northern baptist which is super strict evangelical protestant and anything around the feminine was completely wiped out in the church i went to like even mother mary was never mentioned so there was no and if a woman was mentioned in any sort of biblical context at all she was definitely doing something wrong (laughs) she was she was really messing stuff up there was um really a very strong sense of of right and wrong and good and evil and you know I grew up believing that the people in my family or, or my friends who I loved, if they didn't believe the same thing as me, they were going to burn in hell for eternity. So there there was a lot of, well, there was a lot of stuff I didn't like <laughs> about the religion, okay? Uh, but there was a lot of interesting things that came through that I think was really important for me understand because I sort of came out of the womb very spiritual and 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 just very very far out like there's a story in my family about when I was three years old my aunt's boyfriend died and after he died I was channeling him for her and I was telling her things that he wanted her to know and yeah and I was just very, I was very connected to the spiritual world. And so in the church, what made sense to me was Jesus's message of, you know, love each other and forgive each other. That felt really right to me. And then also in a Baptist church, they do baptism. So there's this big tub of water in the church at at the very front of the church. There's a big tub of water. And the ritual of baptism was so amazingly sacred to me. I I I thought, okay, this is this is how you connect to God is is through baptism, right? And in that religion you don't get baptized until you're around 30-ish and you have sins to wash away. <laughs> so many sins. <laughs> Rolling my eyes. Yeah. Uh, when I was eight, I demanded to my pastor to be baptized. I was a, a very enthusiastic kid, okay? Like, the the precipice of the religion is being saved. So you you're a sinner, right? You're going to burn in hell for eternity just by existing. But if you get saved, then you go to heaven and it doesn't matter what you do or even if you do horrible things, you're still going to go to heaven because you got saved. So getting saved is this 
one-time process of asking Jesus to come into your heart and be your savior. For me, however, every single Sunday, because we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday nights, every single Sunday when my pastor was like, Is, does anybody here want to get saved today? I would raise my hand. I'd be like, me, I'm not saved yet. I, I didn't feel it happen. Didn't I, everyone raise their hands though? No, because you, you do it once. In your life. Yeah, and then you're good. Ah, yeah. but then you want it as early as possible? Yeah. In case something would happen in your life. Yeah. And you would die. Right. You want to get saved like immediately. Like the, the parents are pressuring the kids as soon as they can speak to get saved. Two, three years old to get saved. This is completely new information. This whole con- it's this whole so contract that's signed. Uh-huh. Yeah. How does the process of getting saved look like? Is it like a complicated it's, thing? No, no. You it's just, just like you're saved. You, you just ask jesus to be your savior come into your heart and be your savior that's it and then you're saved and how was that process for you (laughs) well i mean it was it was part of what i grew up with but i didn't i didn't believe it you know so i thought i must be doing something wrong so i kept on wanting to get i kept on i mean i i really i i got saved quote quote over and over and over and over again because i just did it i was like it's not working <laughs> and they gave it to you each time you went to well you so you give it to yourself in a way because you're asking oh. the question mm. but you can do it up at the altar of the church and so as a child i just i kept on going up to that altar i was like all right i need to be saved and then i i I have a really persistent side to me. I always have. And so then also I needed to be baptized. I this getting saved is not working. I must need to be baptized, right? So I bothered that poor man, my pastor. Every single Sunday I was like, "Listen, I need to get baptized." His name is Pastor Edwards. Pastor Edwards, I need to get baptized no, you're too young. You're fine. You don't need to get baptized. No, no, no. I need to get baptized. I bothered him every single time I saw him until he said, yes, fine. (laughs) And then I got baptized. And that was like, actually, in that context of that church, that was actually like a really amazing spiritual experience for me. Um, and then right away after, I found out that I was very, very ill. So it was like I, my spirit was like looking to get healing in a way maybe I remembered from past lives. I don't know. And also, you would not stay in that church until you were 30. So no. you might as well get the experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, yeah. What do you mean by ill? Tell us about that. When, uh, so right after getting baptized, I went to the just regular doctor checkup at the pediatrician, and they found a tumor in, in my belly, very, a very large tumor. And I, I was really, I was, I was sick actually leading up to that. Like, I was very, very thin. I couldn't keep any food down. My parents thought I was just saying, oh, my stomach hurts to get out of going to school. And then they found the tumor, and then I was in the hospital for a month with a surgery, getting the 
tumor, my ovary, and my fallopian tube, and my appendix all cut out. On one side? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, on my left side. Mm, on yeah. the left side. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I mean, I have... I believe that you looked into this like metaphysical, like the energy around it. Mm-hmm. Can you like track down what you think was the like root cause or? Yes, uh, I, I think that a lot of, I think a lot of people want to heal, like we do healing practices. And then we want to step forward as healers because we, we want people to feel good, right? Mm. I think that in so many ways we are all healers, right? But I also think that there's very, very few people who actually receive the invitation to work as a healer um, from like the universe, right? And I think it has a lot to do with some of the stars and planets you're born under and what, what converges for your spirit at the time when you come into this body. But one thing I've found with people who are really, they really have been given that invitation to become a healer and work as a healer is that the early life is very challenging. And this was very, very, very true for me. The early life was was very challenging. So there was a lot of and I mean, it's it's too much really like open. It's too cathartic too. I think to really open the door and get into all of it. But there was like a lot of energy that existed within that tumor, and it was like once it came out, that's when just like a lot started blowing up in my family too. You know, which le- leads you to like later on when I was like thirteen, I was on my own a lot. I was getting kicked out of the house a lot. I was such a rebel. And then fully on my own when I was 17. But like the most challenging, difficult part of my life is up until 17 years old. And then 17, when I fully moved out of the house, that's when I started getting to have autonomy and deciding things for myself. And so even though I was broke and I, you know, I was sleeping on the mattress of my two nice friends studio apartment, like on the, like a little tiny mattress on the floor, it, 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 it was still like I was free. Now, now the, the, it, it, and the story ends, or if you meet me today, the story is, is pretty good. Like life is really good now. But it was very challenging growing up. And I, I think it's pretty true for everyone who has that real, this is what you have to do in this lifetime is just work as a healer. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, because you you need experiences of um, of like healing and looking into your traumas and your bones to be able to see others. Yeah. Um, so I think both of me and Matilda can can tap into this yeah. as well. Yeah. And I remember also like 17 for me was also like a major like shift in my energy from being like um, from hiding myself a lot like dimming my light to be like 17 meeting my new boyfriend and it was just like I was out. I cut my hair I changed the color of my hair 
it was like a new per it, yeah it was something around 17 i haven't been think of that before but you know that year <laughs> yeah we have a song with a very famous artist swedish artist about the age of 17 mm. yes you know it yeah. which is like something that we all been like singing in parties and stuff mm. uh, so maybe there is something about it i was still dimming my light when i was 17 <laughs> yeah. yeah up until very late in life i've been late and everything <laughs> yeah it was just like a short period and then I, yeah you know you dim and then you come out you dim and then you come out yeah if you continue in your life you've had you've done a lot of amazing things you started early doing this like the the, the kind of the growth on the growth path what are be, what have been some of the stepping stones, like defining moments in your life, if you want to mention maybe one, two, of those moments when you feel like, oh my God, yes, I understand something or uh, something, you know, you blossomed in some way or you realize something or, yeah. Well, the, the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that is getting pregnant and giving birth to my daughter because... Obviously, with the um, with the tumor and the surgery and everything, when I was eight, I kind of resigned to I probably won't be able to have kids. As I got older, there was a fibroid crushing my other ovary, so I was just kind of like, okay, this is just I'll adopt. This is this is what I'll do because I knew I wanted to be a mother at a very young age. But I was twenty. I was 29 and I was in the Amazon and I was uh, in the eighth year of an eight-year apprenticeship there and the, working with plants, working with healing, using my voice to heal. It's, it's a, a whole big thing. It's basically like a doctorate in healing <laughs> that I did in addition to all the other studies and things that I did, right? My teacher he he was so so perceptive and very very stoic and very silent and he really didn't get too involved with your healing process when you were in the amazon it was more like this is this plant this is how you use it for healing this is this song this is how you use it for healing like and then you you read into it what you need to and you make the spiritual connection with everything. But just wanted to add to that. Yeah. I think that I, I have one of those teachers myself. Yeah. And I just think that is, it just feels so right. Yeah, it's it's honest. Yes. Yeah. And, and nobody's telling you to believe And it's anything. also very empowering. Yeah. Giving you the power. Yeah. To take care of your own stuff. Well, that's when you know it's a real teacher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's that's the best way to teach. Mm. Sorry for interrupting. I just want to add that. bringing people like thirty five percent of the way. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But so he he says to me, I'm, and I could I could speak Spanish relatively well at that time, but not not perfectly at all. And he barely spoke any English. But he he asked me in Spanish, "Do you want to be pregnant one day?" And I explained to him what was going on. And he gave me plants with this whole ceremony to drink for a month. And when I got back from the Amazon, 
immediately I was pregnant with my daughter. So it, it was like a real miracle. Um, and that was, that was the biggest turning point because I had worked as a healer for a long time when we were at that point. I had been working as a healer for 12 years. I always stayed kind of hidden underneath my Scorpio rock. So I had a whole healing in New York. I had a whole healing studio. I had like 30 people working for me. And my focus was building up everybody's career there. And then also I was teaching yoga and I was teaching healing and I was leading healing ceremonies and, um, I, and I was the cleaning lady, <laughs> but I was working like six days a week, around 12 hours a day, and and sort of like hiding underneath all of the work, if that makes sense. When I had her, I was like, okay, this first of all, this is a miracle. And also, I feel like anyone who's given birth is like, wow. My body is amazing. I can grow another human. This is unbelievable, right? Yeah, I see like um, you become this portal that brings like energy through your body, through your system, birth it out in this like physical world. Yeah, you're, you're a portal. And yeah. It's like, oh, oh, that's, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> but so I, I'm, I'm holding her and I'm thinking... Okay, one thing I really want to teach this girl is confidence. I, it should be, by the way, 10 years later, she's a confident kid. <laughs> so it, it's working. Mm. <laughs> so I, I started sharing my work a lot more and becoming more comfortable than at that point with doing less and becoming more public. So that was a, a massive, massive turning point for me. And I mean, I have a child, kid as well. Um, they are really here to to mirror so much. I mean, he's mirroring me in a way that even though my husband isn't, even though my husband is mirroring me as well. Uh, so your daughter, what is her teaching? What has she taught you? First of all, the, just the whole the whole energy of the dynamic of our family is really, it's really really loving. Like it's it's unconditional love. I I just don't I didn't have another child because I just don't think I would be able to love anyone even close to as much as I love her. Uh, and that that energy of unconditional love it is like a wellspring of teaching. Her, herself, there's a lot of teachings that come through. Like, she just thinks of something and she draws it. Like, she's she's always drawing. She always has a sketchbook with her and a pen or drawing tools. And that ability to just create without overthinking is a really big consistent teaching of hers also she never wants to do anything unhealthy like 
she she doesn't want to have cake because she's like, oh, you know what? I don't think that's healthy for my body. Or like she she's self she's Capricorn, you know. She she's very she's very good at self-regulating. Like I'm tired, I need to go to sleep. I I want to eat this healthy thing because it's good for me. I don't want to eat this unhealthy thing. I want to be with friends and with family that I feel good around. I And she's very clear on who she wants to spend time with and who she doesn't want to spend time with. It's, it's a, a very interesting thing. Like she came in with crazy boundaries. Sarah, people pleasing. <laughs> Because that is depleting. I mean, yeah. both me and Matilda has been like the people pleasing persons as we are like um, empathics and you know mm-hmm. a lot of empathic people are people pleasing but so that is something that I'm still recovering from like is this true to me is this going to fill me up or is this going to just like give something to the other one but it's not going to do that as well because it's still the energy of not wanting to do it so yeah yeah so it's not good for none of us yeah mm. but beautiful yeah. to hear about your daughter and your strong connection <laughs> are you a people pleaser recovered i yeah absolutely i think all women are you know and yeah i'm liking this more direct energy that's coming through and and waking up now Because I think if we can just really get to the point and be a lot more direct with what we need and what we want, actually, then we're more in that energy of kindness. I think people-pleasing actually is living a lie. Yeah, and because I used to be more direct, like in my early 20s or something. People mm-hmm. call me like, you know, these different colors, like red, yellow, blue and green. It's some sort of psychology tests. And people were just like, you're red. And I was just like, oh, am I? But then something happened like between 20 and 30. And I just became these like people pleaser because I due to past like relationships with friends, like female friends. So that is something I try to find a balance between being direct but still be in like love because it's so because people can be like scared when people are like too direct as well because people are not used to that kind of direction so I think that's a balance I try to to get oh yeah get my fingers on yeah yeah but I think that the balance comes in with kindness right I I think it's There's this beautiful Buddhist practice where before you say anything, you ask yourself, is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? And then if you get a yes on all of those, it's the right thing to say or to share. Because I think, you know, when you when you are like a teenager and you are empathic and you're rebellious and you can see what people you can see the reality and then you can see the illusion that people are trying to abide in Mm -hmm. there's this frustration that comes up and you just want to tell people like that this is this is what you're doing this is what you actually are but they might not be ready to hear that they might not be ready to receive that 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 might not be the kind thing to do in that moment yeah because i also also remember like when being direct it always 
felt like it came from like love and just like from a place of like no harmful or nothing but it was like something it triggered people and I was so upset because I didn't understand how it could be triggered people when I was not like in that mood when I was just like being myself uh, but I think that also was some teaching I had to do to go like the circle of like go out to like find myself and to rebuild myself and to come home to myself and my true self um, because I resonate so well with this like if you do something out of kindness you it's, it's the right thing exactly yeah speaking of different types of energies we heard in one of the interviews you've done uh, comparing New York to Los Angeles for example very different energies where one is more direct and the other one is a bit more flaky. And when it comes to Sweden, have you done any sort of observation about the energy or when you like when you read the energy before coming and, or and why did you choose to come uh, to, to this place especially? I mean, this tiny little place out in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in New York, we have a lot of Swedish people. So, because, you know, New York, we have a, a lot of everyone. And I have a good amount of Swedish women from meeting them in New York who I just love and adore. And, you know, you meet someone and you're like, I want to see where you come from because you're amazing. And so that was initially what made me excited about Sweden was the, the Swedish women. My feeling with coming here is a deep respect for innocence. That's a, a strong, a very strong feeling I have with this place is that there's a deep reverence for innocence and the, there's a deep reverence for childhood. And I just, I really like that. I really, really like that feeling. I also, I feel like there's a calm strength here, you know? I think that there's like a sturdy, calm strength that is very rare to feel in a city. Like in most cities, there's just a a general baseline neuroses that, it, and of course, you know, where you go anywhere now because of technology and our iPhones and all of that, we're more in our heads. But there's a little bit of a stronger feeling of embodiment and it's like a sturdy presence. That's the best way to put it. Mm. I wonder, though, because we have been thinking about this a lot, especially now when we do international interviews. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we come across this kind of comparison. Uh, and we've been thinking maybe it's because we are socialists mm -hmm. and we are very safe mm -hmm. in a way mm -hmm. that we have it like a safety net. If mm -hmm. something happens, it's yeah. kind of impossible almost to fall out of the system right um so i think our root chakra is kind of you know defined in a way right, just yeah. by being born in this country and the mothers get you know like two years of paid live and and it's like even though we have i mean we have big uh, economic um, diversity in this country too um but still, it's some sort of, I think mothers feel like there is some sort of stability because they have this leave and they have this paid leave. I don't know if that maybe is what is sensed in the energy in a way. Mm. That there, even though you can have, I mean, there are a lot of 
you know, insecurities and a lot of things that we feel because we live here and we we feel everything very like subtle. But maybe coming from the outside, maybe that's in the like in the in the bigger energy. Um, I don't know. Do you think that's that could be true? Yeah, I just want to add to that because something that we don't have so much here in Sweden are uh, throat chakra. We are mm-hmm. because in Sweden we don't have like in the U.S. You have like public speaking from like, I don't know, first grade or something. We don't practice at all here in Sweden, almost like public speaking. So people, and uh, we also have something called Jantelagen. That is something that you should not think that you are better than anyone else. So everyone is very like, I don't want to shine. I want to, I don't want to be seen. I don't want to speak out because if I do, I can be like left outside of the herd. Yes, so that is something we have like this root, but we don't mm, dare to speak our truth. <laughs> I don't know if you can sense energy, anything yeah. like energetically here in Sweden. Yeah, it's a little bit muted. Yeah, there's a little bit too of, um, I think with that, there's a little bit of a fear of proximity and. And, and closeness like not just even just like passing somebody on the street and they take really a lot of space which in New York that just never happens but also I think proximity and in, in really getting very close you know it's yeah this is this is something though I feel in the north when you go north you have a little bit more of a reservation I think with people yeah even Canada and mm-hmm. those faces mm-hmm. yeah it is probably true it's the weather <laughs> we need the yeah. warmth more than ever we need, we, to we need the warmth yeah. yeah yeah and that's why we love to go Swedes usually or in general like to be in warmer places because you know we people have a tendency to be more open-hearted Um, so we need the mix, you know. I think it's also why the city smells like cinnamon. I you was, think it does? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. I, maybe it was just my. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Stockholm was welcoming me <laughs> because I I love cinnamon. Like I think you can never have too much cinnamon. I put cinnamon in all of my oils. I use cinnamon as like a, a smoke blessing and clearing. Um, But as I was walking through the city, I just smelt cinnamon everywhere. And I was thinking, oh, it's so good that they're... <laughs> Have you been eating like cinnamon buns? That's our specialty here. I, I haven't had mm. any, but I've smelt them. Yes. And they're amazing. <laughs> yes. It just it They smells are. so... It, it, that is the energy of warmth, that smell. So mm. I think it's interesting to have that reserved feeling or... or this kind of throat stuff that you're talking about and thinking about the vibration of cinnamon. It's the perfect match. Mm. Yeah. So we should bring in more cinnamon in our life, maybe. Yes. Mm. And use the cinnamon stick. Don't use sage. Don't use palo santo. You don't need these things. You can like boil it in water to have the smell of your house. And it's also very good for abundance, I heard. Oh, you burn it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Just burn it and use the smoke. It smells I want to buy one too. It's <laughs> yes. Can we buy it in the store? In the yeah, it's yeah. always in the store. Yeah, the cinnamon stick you just buy in the store. Yeah. Mm, amazing. It's very protective. Yes, uh, of abundance. Like, yeah. And everything that warmth 
brings. Mm-hmm. We're gonna buy definitely mm-hmm. some later. So we we are also curious to know more about your core life principles and how do you live by them? Wow, <laughs> the small questions in yes. this podcast. <laughs> Let's no get pressure. Into it. <laughs> core life principles: well, kindness. You know, mm-hmm. that's a a really big thing, and trying as a human being to be as gentle with the nature that surrounds me as possible and the nature that I am. So, so kindness and, and gentleness, and then also these things towards myself. I live, my lifestyle is, is very, very clear. I, there's not like a very big difference between what you see when you meet me and what the people who have known me my whole life get when I'm around them. My lifestyle is very clear. I just, I don't like to do anything that I feel like lowers my vibration. So I'm very protective of my my body and my energy and I've learned that I, I have to be. So I'll watch TV or I'll watch movies, but I have to be very careful about what I watch because otherwise mm. it will haunt me or it'll make me feel terrible. Yeah, what is your human design? Manifesting generator. Mm. As Matilda. Hard worker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was like sitting out there. I think she's a manifesting generator. <laughs> but you don't, you, don't, you don't have like the stressed energy that we usually do. Mm. so you worked on that nice Mm. I think I think I do I think I do I think that might be what brought me to New York Mm. (laughs) um but I I've actually found that being like really ahead of the game it helps a lot with stress so I'm very secretly type a Mm. like i i'm so organized with my work i if i'm coming out here i'm planning everything so that way i don't have to worry about anything when i come that's so good we are working on this because you know bringing the masculine and the feminine energy together like the masculine holding like um what do you call them? The borders, so you can just like flow within like everything. Otherwise, get chaos for us. Very important. And I think as a man, of, as a fellow MJ, uh, the brain is so like popping from place to place yeah. all the time, drains you completely. Yeah. So being organized and structured for me, like in my house, in my in my apartment, I need to have everything very neat in order for my brain not to be like popcorning. Mm-hmm. Um, I have stuff to work on. Yeah. Because not everything is di- like it is so clean in my life definitely yeah i want i want to get there too because i think it's going to help in the house i'm not the organized one oh. no but my that this is like i i love having a a dutch husband yes <laughs> he's so organized he we actually had a lot of issues in the beginning of our relationship with him being deeply offended about me leaving stuff around the house. I didn't even think about it at all. You know, I just like put, you know, put a glass down, leave our, it on like, the counter. Story right me and my husband, he was just like, because we're going to like couple counseling. Yeah. And he was just like, my biggest, biggest issue with you <laughs> are that you leave things everywhere. And just like, 
I don't even think about it. It's just like, don't take out the, the clothes from the washing machine, even though I told you to. So he's like so upset about yeah. this. And I just like, it's only like things. Yeah. Can we talk about deeper things? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, I know. <laughs> this is just what you get. <laughs> yes. I try, I try really hard to think, how would Herman look at this? Or what would Herman think about this situation? And I try to clean up. It's never good enough. It's never right. <laughs> Just his name is like very yeah. structured. Yeah, we did his his DNA test. It came back. He's just Dutch. That's it. <laughs> Actually, I didn't know Dutch were so like organized. I thought it was more German. I guess they yeah. are friends. I mean, yeah, they're... no, it's, it's very, very organized. Mm. Yeah. A lot of it's a lot of people in a small country, so even like the homes are very organized. Mm. Like the the landscape is organized. So if he takes care of the household, do you have like an area where you can put your expertise? Because we are there right now. That he, if he really good at it, I don't want to be there because he's not even going to be happy when I'm cleaned. Mm-hmm. So I just like it's better I find my area and you can have your area. <laughs> So what is your area? <laughs> oh, I have an amazing office. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I it's also like the solo dance party room. Mm. And I have a whiteboard up on the wall for the creative chaos mm. brainstorming sessions and a window that I look out at like a birch tree grove to write from. And a fireplace and it's very very cozy in there like mm. it's like a, a very thick rug on top of a very thick rug because it's mm. in where i live in the united states in the northeast it's very cold mm. it's very very cold yeah so it's nice but okay so the tips you have is to um to not take in too much from like magazines and tv shows mm-hmm. to keep the energy like clear around you and also like in the house to keep mm-hmm. things more minimalist yeah it's mm. like minimalist but there's a there's a dutch word for it it's i'm gonna say it completely wrong but it's zelig gezellig i can't do the g <laughs> but it it it's sort of roughly translate to cozy so everything that we have in the house has purpose and sometimes that purpose is just to bring in warmth and and coziness i love it Mm. the danish word is hygge that's very big in sweden as well hygge i love it thank you so much deborah for coming to holocraft podcast we are so honored to have you you for having me yeah to yeah and to have this hour with you i mean you're here for only like two two days in sweden yes unfortunately Mm. but i i know this is just my first time here Mm. it won't be my last no and we're so grateful for for seeing you here thank you thank you so much thank you